podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome, lovely lockdown and listener to the Anfield Index podcast. That was my chair squeaking, I'm sorry. It is brought to you in partnership with LibertyShield.com, the perfect VPN companion for all your football viewing, where you can get 25% off everything using the coupon code AIVPN. It is episode 267. I'm Trev Denny, podcasting to you from my agrarian paradise here in my field in beautiful rural Ireland. And I'm joined as ever by Carl Kopak, by Cam Branch. And producer Guy Drinkle. Lots of stuff has been going around in the Downey uh, brain over the last week since we spoke to you last. Um, I've been doing my best to block out an awful lot of the negativity and yet sometimes it bubbles to the fore and not in the way you might think it does. A little bit of frustration with some of the things I'm seeing and hearing and not in the way you might think. Um, so I'm just going to go ahead and play a little extract here which will be known to some of you at least the key line will it's about two minutes and 12 minutes uh, two minutes and 12 seconds and i want you to bear with it because uh, it's one of the most powerful scenes in um film history in my opinion um just tremendous stuff um by an actor peter finch playing a character called howard beale and it's it's wonderful and i want you to listen to it and if it resonates with you good if it doesn't all you have done is hear some tremendous acting and get a reference for a good film that you should go and watch at some point, which is in no way linked to modern times whatsoever. Here we go. Uh, a little scene from Network by Sidney Lumet from 1976. And this is Peter Finch you're going to hear. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to ride. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. God damn it. My life has value. So, I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I want you to get up right now. Sit up. Stay up. 
Go to your windows, open them, and stick your head out and yell, I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Things have got to change. How many stations has this got to French say plus ça change, um, plus ça remain the same. Uh, that's my little addition on the end of it. So everyone's freaking out. There's lots going on, but we've been here before in many ways. So hold on to your hats. Maybe get a bit annoyed about what is being done to you as opposed to the greater fears. That's just a little suggestion at the start of the show. Carl Kopak, how are you feeling? Did you, did you enjoy that? Have you seen that movie? Oh, God, yeah. I saw it. I mean, uh, to be honest, it's one of those things that I keep being able to watch again. I saw it years ago, and um, that that scene is just in- incredible, isn't it? I mean, I, I love, love Sydney Lumet, obviously, because I love Dog Day Afternoon. I love um, 12 Angry Men. And uh, they, it, it's a cliche scene you know, that they don't make film writers like that anymore. And, you know, but that was just just extraordinary. Well, what a man he was, the, the way he could uh, sort of like guide a script. That way, I mean, if you haven't seen Twelve Angry Men, you won't believe it was made in the fifties. It's just, it's it's a play on film. It's absolutely perfect, and that's really good. But um, I'm I'm okay. Um, I've been um playing a bit of chess late, um, so I thought I would include my uh quote from um one of my favourites, one of my favourite chess players, and it's this: Of course, errors are not good for a chess game, but errors are unavoidable. And in any any case, a game without any errors. Or as they say, flawless games are colourless. And I really like that because it's basically just saying chess is full of mistakes and it's the mistakes that make it good. Because if you had a perfect game, there would be nothing to it. You just wouldn't enjoy it. So it's okay to make mistakes. And uh, that was by a man called Mikhail Tal. Um, There are three, uh, generally considered to be the three greatest chess players of all time. Uh, It would be Kasparov, Fischer and the current world champion, Magnus Carlsen. But Mikhail Tal was mad because he, he was only world champion once, but he was famous for just going on mad attacks and sacrificing pieces. And yet it always worked for him because that's how he lived his life. He died young. He was always ill. And uh, uh, I think he died of cancer in the end. He, was, he smoked uh, smoked and drank at every single game he played at, including the world championships. And uh, I, I just think he's a really, really interesting man. The, the I, I, I read a, sorry, I listened to a really interesting documentary several years ago and I can't remember now whether it was Kasparov or Fisher who was being put up against this AI stuff like the really early early days of AI um, oh, can you remember? Blue. yeah it's, it's Kasparov 93, Deep yeah. Blue that's it yeah 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 so uh, eventually you know I think they managed to get a win over the human uh you know, in the in the end, I think it was a little bit debatable. But he was, I'm just... he, was furious, he was furious because he said the move that made the move that made him lose the game was a human move, and he yeah. was absolutely convinced that it wasn't a computer at all. It was it was like a group of uh, grandmasters doing it together. Well, this is it was an it's like like Tal says that it was an imperfect move. And you see, you did, did, make an imperfect move. This is what I this is what I wanted to ask you. You know, as somebody who plays a lot uh, of of chess, you know, obviously you can teach. It, it would be one of the first go to things that you would try to teach a computer to do. Everyone's played computer chess at different times. 
but can you notice that? Like, I mean, I'm just really interested in this point you make. Can you notice that soullessness, that it's just logic as opposed to uh, risk? Do, do, do you ever experience risk with, with the AI when you're playing against the computer? Well, I'm, well, I'm not good enough, um, to be honest. So the level I play, I can notice it. They call, it's called a book move, where the, like the opener moves, are, are, they're called book moves because they come straight from the book. Everyone starts at certain moves. Obviously, there's, there's thousands of different openings and things, but... Uh, a book move is just the standard ones you've got. So if you're playing a computer, they might play that might play a few more book moves than it would open the moves mm-hmm. or variations on. They call lines that would they will, a computer will always play the main line always. Whereas, um, so for example, there's Queen Gambit. Queen Gambit accepted. Queen Gambit declined. And then there's a, the, the next move after that's called a variation. Uh, and this is why I didn't become a master because I got bored learning all that stuff when I was about twelve. Um, <laughs> so yeah. But um, yeah, I, I know when I when I play a computer, it's different. They won't quite make the errors that humans make. Yeah, yeah. But um, there's different levels of it as well. I just find it fascinating because I'm very interested in AI in general, especially the way that the world is shaping up at the moment, and uh, you know whether or not they're going to be able to replace me with something as a teacher um, is very very real consideration. It's not half the the uh, woo-woo uh, type topic that an awful lot of people want you to think it is. But anyway, Cam branch i believe you have a couple of quotes for us my friend i do yeah um just on your opening piece uh, that was really powerful that's great man yeah i've never heard that before no. you should see it. it's a bit on netflix i think it's a fantastic right, well, film network it's brilliant yeah. i'll look i'll look that up for tomorrow or the day after then um what i will say is um on that actually uh it's he's almost saying i'm, I'm guessing go out and rebel against what's going on and you know uh, against, yes, he was saying it against the authorities, but it sort of made me think of uh, the stupidity that's happening across the pond and how all these morons have decided that, yes, there is a virus and it can kill us, but we won't be killed if we still go out, you know, and and do mass gatherings. It's, uh, it's a strange world we live in. It is, and, and it is, and you know, in that piece, he specifically says, "I'm not asking you to riot. I'm not asking you to protest. I'm just saying you should be angry." And what he's saying to be angry about, irrespective of your opinion about people having these mass gatherings, because we're, we're the vast majority of humanity has been scared, uh, witless by this, and believe that um, uh, the, the the men, the white coats, are telling us the truth, even though they keep changing their numbers. But let's go with that. Let's assume that. Yeah. Um, well, we, we're, we're, all, we're, all, we're all doing this thing um, for the yeah. greater good and all the rest of it. But here's the thing. The message behind that is still the message now. Just keep an eye on what is happening in the background and what is being done that's going to influence your life in ways that you may not have thought about. That's real. That's real, and people need to think yeah. about it. You know what I mean? The anger, the anger this week, I think, is definitely real with some of the reports that are coming out, especially, say, like that Sunday Times piece. Mm. Uh, and then... What's happened today with the PPE stuff now? You know, uh, they're obviously, I know we don't really want to talk about COVID, but it just seems it's, it's just so on point, you know, with what's just happened this week. It's, it's just perfect, opening trap, just perfect. Brilliant. So, um, anyway, my two little quotes. The first, uh, first one is uh, of uh, somebody's birthday today. And the second one is birthday related. The first quote, made me think of somebody within our quartet, but I won't mention any names. I stare at myself in the mirror and I think, wow, I'm really great looking. 
I think I'm the greatest anyway. <laughs> How can you do guy drinking like that when he's not even able to talk? It's so mean. <laughs> it was his birthday this week, wasn't it? Happy birthday, guy. Happy birthday, brother. Uh, Absolutely. That's an awful dig. That's an awful dig, guy. <laughs> I don't quite think it was Guy I was thinking of when I saw that quite straight away. So oh, any, any, any guesses as to who that was then, Trev? Chatting about yourself again, Pat. Chatting about yourself again. You do have a healthy ego. It's nice to see. <laughs> you know, it's nice to see. No, no. The one that was for me was nobody understands me. I'm really sensitive. <laughs> who said that? The same person. The same person. You didn't include that, did you? I didn't hear that first time around. <laughs> no, no, I didn't include it. I just said, that's the one that relates to me. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really sensitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cam, you, you got wandered the most conversations. You you seem like such a nice guy in the face of it. And then you, you just roll these grenades in when nobody's expecting it. <laughs> and stroll backwards then and just watch the carnage. We're, 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 we're white to you at this stage, myself and Carl, but um, I, I do worry about people who you meet you know, in passing. Um, well, you, did you have a second one? Yeah, did you want to get, have a guess who that was, though? Oh, sorry. It, 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 honestly... Well, I'll give you a clue. It's, uh, he's, he, it's a he, he's American, and he's uh, rock pop. Oh, rock pop. I was going to say it sounded like a, a line from fucking Zoolander or something. I thought it was um, thingy Ben Stiller. Uh, rock pop. Carl, any guesses? Weird, weird Al Yankovic. Um, uh, oh, it's his, it's his birthday today, is it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I was I was thinking it. I think Born it's... in 1947. I can't be able to work out his age. 73. Um, 73? That old? Wow. Yeah. We were almost born in 78. That's how I know that. Um, Who would think he was really good looking? Early 20s. Cliff Richard. No. It was American. Um, American, yeah. Roy Orbison. No. Fucking hell. And he said, Iggy Pop. Iggy Pop. Of course it's his birthday, of course it is. Yeah, I saw that today. I saw he, I, I saw a picture of him in high school. He was most likely to succeed. The amount of bullshit they did in the States where they put pressure on, on at least one kid or two kids in the class. Iggy, Jim, uh, what's his second name? Jim, Jim Osterberg. Osterberg was voted most likely to succeed. Fair play to him. Um, that's I've, good. Um, Hang on, hang on. Whoa, 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 whoa. What do you mean you've met him? Were you in the same room or did you exchange? I, 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 I spoke to him in the street. Oh. Um, I, saw him, um, I saw him in 1988, Christmas 88, at the Royal Court in Liverpool. And he came outside after the gig. And yeah, two things happened. Do you remember a program called Night Network Camp? It was an Irish no. thing, to be honest. It was, it was like one of those sort of they shoot videos all night. This was in the days when telly wasn't on all night. You know, from midnight to six AM or something. Right. And um, they interviewed him on that. So, and he said, "Oh, uh, so yeah, I don't do drugs anymore. Like, you know, I'm getting on a bit, and you know, I want to survive. I've got married now. I don't do that sort of thing anymore." And I'd been with him like about ninety minutes earlier that night, and he was absolutely off his fucking tits. <laughs> <laughs> there was a drug quote in there, actually, funnily enough, as well. 
To be fair to Iggy, uh, around that time when you were meeting him, he was outrageously cool. Still, still outrageously that, cool. That would have been about wild child around that time. Possibly. Yeah, and still in an outrageously good nick. And I think that lasted all the way through. Oh, still the, is. Yeah, still well, he's yeah. still kind of in a leathery sort of way, uh, flaunted. But um, yeah, he's an interesting, interesting cat. I have to say, I, I, saw, I saw him at uh, 2012 um, with Prince actually the next day at uh, the Hop Farm Festival in Kent, and he was still trying to climb up the amp speakers. <laughs> Six Prince, before he was at the time. Prentice's fourth anniversary today as well. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, this is all coming together. Cam, your second quote, what was it? Second quote, um, this is birthday related. And as soon as I say, it's only one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words, but you'll know whose birthday I am relating it to. Uh. Back off, or the lizard gets it. Uh, obviously it's, uh, it's, it's Queenie. <laughs> <You're referring to. laughs> I think, I think this is for my benefit and I appreciate it greatly, <laughs> but, uh, but I don't know who the, uh, who, what the quote's from. Uh, just a quote by Ryan Stiles. Oh, okay. <laughs> Ryan Stiles used to be on that show. Uh, was oh, it, whose line is anyway? Whose line is it anyway? What's not yeah, it? Yeah. Uh, the improv- comedy improvisation yeah, yeah. show. Yeah, I remember him on that. I think he might be Canadian, unless I'm mistaken. Um, that's good. I love that. And yeah, I can see the lizard thing coming back later on because I do have a, qu- a query for you guys around all of that stuff. Um, I'm, I'm just... Oh, I wonder what that could be. <laughs> I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna start us before we before we um get into the football chunk and we have a football chunk and if we come out of the football chunk we've lots of other stuff but before we get into the football chunk and just because it is kind of contemporary, um in Fight Club there's a, a scene where where Brad Pitt's character is sitting beside Ed Norton's character and um brad pitt as a tyler durden stands up uh it's it's in a plane and he stands up he's on the inside to get past him um to go out to the toilet or whatever and now he says now a matter of etiquette uh the ass or the crotch you know which do you turn towards the person as you're sidling past them in a situation like this and i had this sort of formula in my head today because i believe it's still in um your neck of the woods it certainly is here a matter of choice unlike it is in certain places like new york and other places as to whether or not you don a mask so i my simple question for you covid related uh contemporaneous question is to mask or not to mask um i i'm just curious because again like i said i've been trying to stay away from the darker elements of twitter which turns out is most of you these days lads fair play and not present company accepted um everybody's quoting numbers and statistics everybody's an epidemiologist all of a sudden and i'm finding it very difficult to be on there um and in fact it got to me to such an extent that i was passing a shop there and i saw a mask for for sale and there were 15 euros for 10 disposable masks which i can only assume are one wear and then you've got to bin them and i bought the bloody things and i was furious with myself afterwards so now i've got a simple question for you at this point, do you mask or do you not mask? And when you do, do you think you might customize yours? Because it seems to be very much a sort of a psychological thing, um, judging by the con- uh, the contradictory uh, evidence, medical evidence that is coming out about it. So I'm going to start with you, Cam. First of all, have you got masks? Do you wear them? Second of all, if you have to, if you're mandated to wear them by 
old bojo um do you reckon you'll customize yours i can't see you going out with just any old piece of crap on you um i don't have any mrs b has one because uh her workplace has provided her with one um it is a washable one a reusable one okay um so she washes it every day as soon as she comes back from work ready for the next day uh but it take, did take them a while to get it to her if it became mandatory and i i think society is going to change going forwards now and we're going to see more people wearing masks anyway mm, just because sure. the fear the fear is going to be there for a, a long long time for many months maybe years um about whether covid is still in the air the coronavirus is still floating around or whatever so i think masks whether they become compulsory or not will become a, a just a normal item that you wear i mean when I go to work and I pick up at the airport and you, you see a lot of the um, Far East Asians coming in and, and they're wearing masks anyway. And you always used to look at them thinking, that's just really odd. We don't have the pollution levels that you guys have. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't need to. And that was primarily why they were wearing it originally. Now it'll become, like I say, I think it'll become the norm. And, oh, yes, it will definitely have to be uh, customised. I can't just wear a plain mask. That's not- especially not for work, man. If you if you're wearing one of your best tins of fruit and you're 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 on a job, uh, mm. and you're you're going to pick a client up, and you know you 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 take care about your your, your appearance from head to toe, it's going to mm. have to. It, it can't just be any old piece. It of can't crap. be like a green medical one. It's got to be. No, I've got to have something that's a little bit more fashionable, for want of another word. Well, so, I will. I will openly admit to um, browsing the interwebs to see and looking for masks. Should I be made to wear them? And I found some cool ones. I have to say, uh, multi-use. I, ones I look as well. forward to receiving those links. <laughs> yeah, 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 I look <laughs> Carl, have you bowed to the mask yet? I know. I know. You, what you from what you're saying is you basically are doing the staying thing as much as possible and going out as little as possible. When you do. I mean, you must, like me, everyone, every second person in Ireland is wearing one, but they're wearing those ones Cam was talking about, the the ones that are realistically supposed to be one wear only. Now, I don't believe they're only wearing them once because at 15 euros for 10, that's a very expensive shopping trip if you're going to do it a few times a day. And most people are still going out most days for a little while or whatever. So I'm wondering, um, do you, is it as widespread around you in London? And would you have you have you bought some for yourself or? I haven't got one. I won't wear one. I, I tend to go old school and just glare at people who look like they might be approaching me. Um, but that tends to be my modern stance on any time, really. I was going to uh, say that, yeah. Just, just, just by keeping people away, by frowning heavily at them at all times. Um, I do see people wearing around where I am at the moment. Um, but uh, would I customise one? I think I would, but I'd, I'd have to be a little bit more. I mean, obviously, the, the, the Beat, Beatles ones I've seen. And uh, Ramones ones, you know, which seems an obvious choice for me. Yeah. Um, there, aren't, there aren't any Mikhail Tal ones I've seen just yet. I'll have a look for them. If it's, <laughs> and if it's online, I can see. Or Sydney Lumet, possibly. <laughs> yeah. I, I, just, I just have this terrible feeling it's going to be, as Cam says, part of uh, our life going forward. It's really interesting because for, for the kind of more conspiratorially minded um, like myself who are very very aware that there's a a push on um for a sort of technocratic globalist society for years now and this really gives every opportunity to push further um i mean you have to be blind to not see that anyway but 
with the facial recognition thing was a massive, massive thing. I mean, again, in London where you are, uh, there are so many cameras. The statistics around how many cameras there are in London is frightening. I think there are more in London than any other city. And yeah. therefore, um, the facial recognition thing was a huge, huge part of that whole technocratic, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, security state thing. And if everybody's going around wearing masks, maybe they've refined it now to such an extent that they can uh, tell by gates or, 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 or some sort of other horrible eugenicist notions about um, uh, the, the, the broadness of your forehead or something. But I don't yeah, the, know. The, the, the slopes at the back of the head. Yeah. All that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I do worry about it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's just interesting. It's interesting to, 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 see, to see what happens next. And hopefully it is very much a, a, a gradual loosening and we can all get some some sort of normality back over the next four or six weeks who knows what would be the case it's i, I think it's, i'd go for, for an anti-tory message just so people would glare at me because i live in a tory, i live in a tory market so that'd, that'd be quite <laughs> yeah well, maybe I, just, I might just put the real figure on every single day as i walk around the streets yeah just in fact i walk past my mp fucking must chance of that yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you're not going to meet him in the street. No. Uh, yeah, okay, okay. I just wanted to start with that because, uh, again, as ever, just curious to get a little bit of contemporaneous stuff into it. Now, um, Carl, you suggested something earlier on. I was being a little bit sort of, oh, God, really football. And it was, it was unfair because I, uh, there, there are some things happening. We're not going to talk about dates or resumptions or anything like that because it's all guff. I, I want to start off with where you were going and the bigger picture of things, of assuming that we get some sort of normal normality back and um, because there's a huge amount of talk today it makes me laugh i have to say and cam i'll start you on this one it makes me laugh to see all these accounts these uh you know football accounts i don't mean individuals i mean you know lads who set up as you know transfer news or whatever chatting about potential transfers it makes it really makes me laugh uh in a, in a kind of dark sardonic way because i'm kind of thinking transfers i mean are these people mental nobody knows what money's going to be worth nobody knows how much uh this depression recession combo is going to hit nobody knows how much football is going to change the landscape of it nobody knows if there's going to be football the transfer thing is just hilarious to me but anyway lads push on and talk about it and apparently tim O'Werner's pretty much nailed on now and he just needs to do a medical and that's all there's to it it's going to be great um you know there is a yeah a, a, yeah exactly the the claim is that 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 Werner's in the bag i mean this is this is remarkable stuff cam uh, can you take it seriously cuz i honestly i i think it's just lads talking you know i think um yeah the, the lads are just talking to a certain extent but there will still be discussions going on between agents and clubs blah 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 as to what's going to happen at some point, no doubt. But nothing definitive can happen until we know what's happening with this season. And that's just a a quagmire, isn't it? We don't know what's going on. So there can't be anything definitively decided. Even players with buyout clauses in their contract what happens with those now? Because if that buyer clause is now suddenly really high compared to what the market could potentially be, you may suddenly think 
actually, that target that we really wanted that was 150 million might possibly come down to 70 or 80 million or 90 or 100 million. Would we be better off going for him instead? So nothing will have been decided yet until they know what's happening with the marketplace. Not a, not a bean. No, no deal will have been done yet. No it, 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 it's also, Cam, very sense for Rob, it's also the fact that contracts run out on the 1st of July. Mm-hmm. So what happens if the, if, the, if the old season kicks off on the 1st of July? How many teams are going to have eligible players and they can't play? What happens if we've got to play Adam Lallana? He's got a contract. Could well, you happen? can't. Technically, yeah, you, you can't. can't you can't play him. But what if I'm yeah. not thinking about us, obviously, because we're all right, but um, yeah. because I've been watching the Sunderland documentary, what happens if half your team is? What to do then? I don't know. What do we can, 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 can we move sideways out of this for a second? We'll come back to the players because I want to come back to the players. But just to move sideways out of this, and again, in the world where money currently is not real, nobody knows what it's worth. And that's not being scaremonger. That's just a fucking reality. Well, um, here's a reality. You think, the price of crude oil, they've actually had to pay people to take the crude oil. Yeah, the barrels I'm, crude I've, oil. I've never heard that term before. It's gone negative. It's got no, it's because, because yeah. the, the it's, price is decided uh, months in advance. The, so basically, the the oil that's been per- that you have to purchase today from the Texas uh, firm that has the oil, they have to move that oil to the storage facilities. Storage facilities are full, but the, the oil had already been bought. But Cam, this is this is just again for, uh, permit permit me thirty seconds of a little rant here. This is just why people need. I'm going back to Peter Finch. People need to in, independently inform themselves about what's going on in the world and not be led by the nose by an absolutely craven ma- mainstream media. Because it's not that long ago that there were all these bleeding heart do-gooders talking to us about how we'd reached peak oil. It's not that long ago. And peak oil had arrived, and now we're going to run out of fossil fuels, and what the hell would we do? And lots of different campaigns and lots of different people took that on and made lots of money out of it. And now we've discovered, oh, actually, sorry, it's all right. America has more than enough oil for itself. It doesn't need to, de- to deal with the um, uh, Saudis anymore. They've got more, they are the main oil producer in the world. When that happened, just slowly crept up on us. It's the new reality. Uh, and now we've got this bizarre scenario where we've got alliances formed between Russia and Saudi, or is it, or is it, is it the exact opposite? Who knows? Who can work out the geopolitical shenanigans? But one thing or the other, it doesn't really matter. We do know that it's all bullshit. It's a patent lie that's been spun at us. And so we see now this zero price oil, but it does really impact on a story that is breaking at the moment, which is about Newcastle United. And the Middle East consortium that's about to take them over, along with that Amanda Stavely one. And you just wonder, what do they know that the rest of us don't know about how the economy is going? I mean, is it just they have so much money that they don't mind throwing it at something like this and it's a potential for them to do shenanigans? Who knows? you got Amnesty International rattling sabers in the background. This is a really messy one, isn't it? I'm sure you both have an opinion on it. Cam, I started with you. I'll stay with you now. I'll go to Carl on his take on Newcastle. 260 billion is the Saudi Arabian uh, hedge fund. That's, or, you know, the royal family, whoever it is, who are buying, who are buying Newcastle. Um, how they, I mean, uh, right now the FFP, FFP rules have been relaxed. Doesn't mean a thing because you can't do anything with, you're not buying anyone. Um, how they're going to spend that money 
uh, how they're going to get that into FFP. That's the Manchester City scenario now, isn't it? You know, it's all well and good having billions in the background, but, you know, you've got to be able to spend it in accordance with the rules. Um, I, I say good luck to them to, to a certain extent. Newcastle, they, they, you know, if you look at uh, who, you know, the, the owner that they currently have, he, he's, a, he's, he's, he's as bad as, he's not as bad, but he's, he's not a great owner. He, you know, he's, 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 he's only been about lining his own pocket. Um, and the Geordies, you know, they got a good, they got a good, good support. They got a good fan base. They deserve a little bit of success. You know, I don't begrudge them, begrudge them that. Um, we have to question the morality and the integrity of the ownership, though, you know, and the background they come from. There's no such thing as a perfect owner. Every, everybody carries baggage, but, yeah, the you know, the, I don't want to get too political and say too much, you know. No, we you know, we, we we don't we don't need to double down on it. We don't need to make yeah. any false accusations. What we can do, Carl, and just to double down on what, what Cam's saying, we can quote the letter from Amnesty UK International Kate Allen to the Premier League chief. Uh, Richard Masters, in which he says, so long as these questions concerning Saudi Arabia's human rights record, that is, remain unaddressed, the Premier League is putting itself at risk of becoming a patsy of those who want to use the glamour and prestige of the Premier League football to cover up actions that are deeply immoral in breach of international law and at odds with the values of the Premier League and the global football and community. Now, we could talk about some other clubs here, but let's not. Just let's talk about this one particular club. And Cam raises a couple of interesting points there. I mean, I, I would have not, nothing but um, sort of, you know, latent goodwill towards them as a club and as a fan base and all the rest of it. I don't really know how they feel about us. Um, I've seen that true Geordie lad doing his podcast recently and I thought he talked a lot of sense about Liverpool and the league and all the rest of it. But always I would have had a sort of a sneaking regard for Newcastle and like the, the tradition of the club and all the rest of it. And as Cam says, they would be due a bit of success. You wouldn't begrudge it to them. Um, this is a this is a really awkward one though because you can understand how fans would be semi excited and also maybe a little bit wary or some of them would be totally repulsed. What's your take? I think I might have mentioned this before. There was a um, a, a, a sketch show called Alexi Sales Stuff in the late eighties, early nineties, and one thing that that's always stuck with me about that. Um, do you remember the Union Carbide gas disaster in India, early eighties? Uh, and yeah, Bhopal in India. Yeah, Bhopal. Hundreds of thousands of people blinded or, or, or worse. Yep. Um, and uh, Alexis Elzig said, I've just done my uh, my national tour. It was sponsored by the um, Union Carbide Poison Gas Company. Um, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. I shouldn't have taken their money. But it really, it wasn't my fault. They held a giant check across my eyes as I signed the contract. <laughs> and and that's, that's, I think, is the worry for me. Because people have very, very short memories and very, very slack morals when someone's given them hundreds of millions of pounds. People will, as I said this on Twitter, like people really will justify anything. And um, I'm not, I, I, I can't stand Mike Ashley. I think he's one of, the, one of the worst people ever to get involved in football. I hate his business. I hate everything about him. Um, but he doesn't have a human rights record. Well, he actually has in my, in my mind, but... Uh, not quite to that extent that, uh, you know, it's alleged that these people have. I think that I worry about this. It's the same with FFP, like when Platini said years ago, there's FFP, but, you know, well, we don't want to rock the boat too much. 
Because they don't, because football exists on money. And, uh, the, I, I, you know, I'm going to come back to that Sunderland documentary where the people who were running the club in that documentary are terrible, absolutely awful people. And But money talks. I mean, that's a great example, for example. I know it's just up the road, and I, they won't thank me for comparing the two. But when the new owners came in in that Sunderland Till I Die documentary, every single person in the interview said, yeah, these are good. Straight away, these are good. We've got the spirit back at the club now. They haven't done a thing, but because it's a new broom, people think, let's give it a try. People are just just like that in general, I think. And yeah. I would like, I'd like UEFA and Amnesty International to sit down and think, you know what? It's okay to say no to the money. But my worry is that people seldom do it. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And, uh, you know, it would have been just daft not to bring it up because it's kind of related to the, we started off on the on the transfer fund. And I want to go back to it because part of me feels like I said, I, there's no, I can't really actively get excited about the transfer thing because like I say, we, there's, you know, there's, there's, it's almost like a, a reality. <laughs> We haven't got a league. We haven't got a league. There's there's a reality bypass there that's occurring in people. And I oh God, I understand it. I do. I really understand the the will that everyone has to get back to how things in Verticamas were. And you know, it will or it won't, it may or may not, it will to some extent, it won't to some extent. Who knows? Nobody can predict that, but at the moment it seems just so far from from anything that people could be actually factoring in is is expenses uh and and doing sums based on 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 an economy that is in the toilet and will only get worse for the immediate future but there is this thing that i think will fall out because one of your knock-on questions carl when we're talking about you know um you know should we have a look at the uh, look at transfers and where would you where would you strengthen where would you where would you allow lads to leave and all the rest of it I mean, I think a real thing that will happen as a result of this, I don't know what you think about this, Cam, is that we are likely to very much retain players left, right and centre. I think squads are less likely to indulge in transfers now because of this. That would be my take in that, you know, the uncertainty around everything would mean that we're probably just going to have the lads we have for the foreseeable. What do you think about that, Cam? Um, yeah, I, I suppose that's that's one way of looking at it. Um, Which is good for us, I think, I suppose is what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to be upbeat here and say that if we can keep hold of this squad, we have every chance of winning loads of stuff. Based on the way we've been playing this season, yeah, definitely. Um, whether we can compete on the number of trophies to win more than possibly one trophy a season, you know, um, because obviously we won a trophy last season, there's a good chance we're going to win a trophy this season, um, as and when. Um, going forwards, will we be able to still compete with Man City who can comfortably win three cup competitions without breaking a sweat? That's the next challenge. And that's when we did need reinforcements in getting a better squad, you know, giving us more options up front, i.e. Timo Werner or Kylian Mbappe, you know, to help rotate the front three. Um, but maybe this is where then the youngsters that we've got in the academy, you know, the ones who, who play brilliantly against the Evan, Shrewsbury and the likes in the FA Cup, some of them can start then pushing for a first-team squad place and hopefully provide a little bit of competition. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a take. I still think transfers will happen of some sort because obviously the players whose contracts have run out they're not going to stay. Adam Lallana. Adam Lallana. 
There it is. Fuck sleep correct as well. <laughs> yeah. Time. Yeah, I mean it, it's it, it, like it, it, you're right. It's fascinating to see. I mean, I think that's I think it is right though, Carl, to say that the impact that will almost undoubtedly result from this is that there will be more stasis in terms of squads uh, and the whole transfer talk is like I said daft point in the sky and lads will be very glad to have the, the, the contracts that they have and clubs aren't going to be offering big money to entice players the way things are currently I mean you're looking at a situation where it's only a couple of weeks ago that I spoke to you about how Burnley's um, uh, chief exec I think um if I recall correctly, Mike Garlic was his name, which we enjoyed. Yes, yes, was ta- was was talking about how the club will be bust. It will be in the toilet by August if football is not guaranteed to resume. So, I mean, this is the reality that people need to balance when they're talking about their Mbappes and their Verners. Um, I would say stasis is the most likely thing. And, and I again think if we are lucky enough to get back to football, I think that stands to us. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, there are people out of contract. Um, I was just had a quick look, actually. Um, our mate Adam uh, Lovren, uh, uh, Nathaniel Klein, I think we can call No, him Lovren's next season. He's not this oh, season. Oh, he? oh, he's in extension, isn't he? Um, uh, Junior Ronaldo is the big one. That's um, next season as well. It really is. Has he yeah. an extension? No, no, no. He's just definitely next season. Oh. Because they, were talk- they, they started talking this year about contract extension, new contract, and it hasn't okay. been signed yet. Guys typing. Okay. Guy will confirm. Just it's, just, it's just Adam Lowell's, okay. Uh, well, obviously, Klein's going as well. Uh, and also, just check the echo, Andy Lonigan's off. Now, I think, I think we should do devote, devote a separate pod to that one. Um, For sure. Yeah. Okay. And, 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 do, do, do a double double pod. Double pod on, on, on Big Andy. But to be fair, to be fair to... Uh, to... Is Bob Gang still on the books? Uh, no, he went... Fairly sure he went. Yeah, I'm fairly sure Bogdan got a move. Oh, uh, but put a double with Bogdan and Lonergan. Jordan Shakiri is also um, um, his agent is talking. Uh, I, I don't know what that says really, to be honest. But his agent is talking about how there was interest in him in January, and he's looking very likely to move on because he just isn't. It doesn't I seem. Can't blame him. He doesn't seem to be Clapo's cup of tea for whatever reason. He's not reason. been fit for most of the season. Yeah, has he not? Has he not? I don't know. I don't know what it is, but uh, one way or the other, he doesn't seem to fit in the way that we'd like. Um, I love him, I have to say. I like it. I like it. Every time he's on the field, I like him. But there's been lots and lots of players like that over the years. I remember in the 80s and 90s, and um, there was lots of players who I liked seeing playing, but they didn't fit with the scene or they didn't take the eye of the manager or whatever. And Kevin McDonald. Yeah, well, Kevin McDonald was great. Kevin, Kevin, Yari Craig, Craig, Craig Johnson coming the end, to be honest. Craig Johnson coming, yeah, but yeah, but but Yari, oh, Yari Littman. So you've with Yari Littman, you've brought us on to the big. Um, this is the more open-ended football stuff that's not contemporaneous at all, and it comes a little bit from um, Carl's idea of what was the most important signing. So I've got two. I've got a double double header question for you. Um. I want you to think about who was the most important signing for Liverpool during your career watching them, and then I want to think. I want you to think about which ex, which signing excited you the most. So I'll oh, get the you're ball. Gonna, you're going to make me cry. Yeah, I, I know, I know. I'll, I'll get I'll get the ball rolling here, and you know, for for again my own nostalgic reasons, 
I'd love to say Kenny, but I can't because I was not aware of the club signing him in 1977 because I wasn't really old enough to know what the hell was going on in 1977. I barely knew what my name was in 1977. So I can't say Kenny, right? But if I'm going to look at the club objectively, you would say he's the most important signing. But the most important signing of the time that I've been following, it's a, it's a, it's a double header. It's a double header for me. One is Johnny Barnes and the other is Jurgen Klopp. Johnny Barnes, because he ushered in that era that is still the greatest for me um, as as a fan. And the Jurgen Klopp, because he might be about to surpass it uh, with what he's done with the club since he came in. Um, I know it's a bit cheeky and it's supposed to be players, but that's my take. And then in terms of which signings excited me most? I'll be honest. Morientes, I was buzzing about. Absolutely buzzing about Morientes. Uh, I was really excited about Harry Kuehl because I thought when he was at Leeds, he was just a wonderful footballer to watch and seemed outrageously talented. Um, so I would say it's probably, honestly, I don't think I don't think there's been too many more exciting than that for me because I didn't really know a huge amount about Mo Salah or Bobby Firmino since they've come. Sadio Mane, similarly, I knew a bit, but I knew more about him than the other two. None of these guys who have come to love so much. Fabinho, again, I hadn't seen much of him. So none of these big signings, maybe Alisson rivals a bit, but again... I don't think I would rate on that level for me. I was massively excited about Harry Kiel and massively excited about Fernando Morientes. So to the two of you, the most important signings of your of your time as a sport, I'll give you two. And the ones that made you most excited, uh, separate categories, separate ideas. Who wants to go first? I'll leave it open to the floor there. Uh, I'll go if you don't mind, Cam. The most two... Outside my time, the most two, two important signings in the history of Liverpool Football Club are Ron Yates and Ian St. John, because um, they basically got Liverpool promoted. Um, obviously, I'm not that old. Um, I would say that Morientes, it was Morientes, and I've written about this several times, uh, uh, I've this thing called Fernando Morientes broke my heart, and he really did, because made his debut against United, he was just beautiful to watch. And he's done really well at every single club he's been to, apart from one. And it wasn't his fault. It just it, the, the pace wasn't for him, and uh, heartbroken. I still, still get upset about it now. I just I invested everything in him, absolutely everything. Really, yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, oh, oh god, it is. Yeah, I absolutely love Fernando Morientes. And the chant, um, and the chant was fantastic. The uh, Stevie Gerrard oh, was doing on the training ground. Oh man, it oh, broke my heart. Oh, yeah. I thought that's it. Got it. We've got the new Ian Rush. He's got to be brilliant. And he, he was more like Sean Dundee. No. Um, yeah, hang, uh, hang on. You skipped over the thing. I, 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 I ruled out Kenny because, and you know, I'd say there's a fair well, argument between between Kenny and and the two boys. But you didn't say in your time watching who was the most important. Yeah, I Kenny. You're going. Okay. Yeah, okay. One hundred percent. Because no one was going to replace Keegan, and I would have been eight or nine or seventy-seven. Yeah. Uh, eight. I was eight. In fact, when he when he signed four hundred and forty thousand pounds, <laughs> um, and uh, it took about two minutes when I just thought, yeah, he's better than Keegan. Because you know, you, obviously, 
Because we'd all seen the footage of like you know Celtic and things where he's wearing that kit and he looks great with the number on his shorts and all that. And I thought, yeah, but that's Scotland. It's not going to be the same up here. And then he just came down and was, it was better yeah. than anyone else. Yeah. And I well, thought, yeah, that everything yeah. about him was fantastic. Well, it wasn't until I was five years old. I saw him thinking the winner at Bruges that I really knew what Kenny was and what Liverpool was. So that was my awakening into it. Uh, Cam, your most important signings of your time and the ones that excited you the most? Um, I'm going to say three most important signings uh, for me. Um, first one would be Kenny. and Exactly for the same reasons as Carlos, who the who was going to replace Keegan. Because Keegan was just everything at the time. You know, he was the pinup boy of uh, English football. Um, he was the one that had led us to, you know, the league in 77. And, um, he, he, uh, won Europe, he won us the European Cup. He won us the European Cup. And the European Cup, as, as, like Carl's saying. So, you know, for him to then leave when we were that good, we were the best team in Europe. And he was leaving, and he was going to Hamburg of all places. Who the hell were Hamburg? Mm. You know, and it just felt like, yes, it, he he only went to he went, went to Germany to prove himself that he could be a better player. You know, in another league, and he he was in a way because he won he won the uh, European Player of the Year two years yep. running when he, he, did, yeah. he was there. So, so he 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 was that good. But Kenny came in. And took us to another level, which you know you just couldn't see. So first it was Kenny. Hang on one second. Hang on. Hang on one sure. second. Cut across you. I'll say one thing as well that never gets mentioned about Kev Keegan. The one thing I'll say about Kev Keegan is the lad looked like a modern footballer physically when nobody else did. I, I, I saw a fantastic bit of footage yesterday. It was Norman Hunter and Franny Lee having a fight. And Franny Lee literally looks seventy-two FA Cup final. Yeah, literally looks like a lad who's been propping up a bar, went for a, a snack box, and then someone said, "Do you fancy a game of football?" He is not in good nick. You know, he does not look like an. He's athlete. got a belly. He does not look like an athlete. In fact, in, in the seventies, uh, lads were just either skinny or whatever, but they were, you know, quite rate, you know, the thin and all the rest of it. But that was the version of athletic. But Kev Keegan was a sculpted little fucker at that yeah. stage. He was in ridiculous nick. Uh, and, uh, you know, he doesn't get half enough credit for being ahead of his time in that regard. There's, anyway. there's a thing about, there's a thing about uh, Oxlade Chamberlain at the moment, isn't there? He's, he's got, he hasn't got his shirt on and he looks like, you know, all cut and everything. And uh, Keegan looks exactly like that. Exactly. In, yeah. in a time when, you know, I'm sure he just lived on steak and milk, which is what they all did in those days, wasn't it? But, yeah, uh, yeah he's, he's, he's just an incredible athlete. For sure. Sorry, Cam, cut across to you. You're on to your second most important signing. Second most important signing would be the same as yours, Trevor, and that is uh, John Barnes. Johnny Barnes. Johnny he was just, Barnes, Johnny. just phenomenal. For two seasons, he was unplayable. You just gave the ball to him and the goals he was scoring, his link-up play, his pace, his strength, his power. He... He was majestic. He he literally glided. It, it seemed like he glided. You know, there's the goal against QPR where he just went left, right, left, right, and then just put. And I think it was a uh, was it Phil Parks? It was, no, it might be Seaman. It was, it was David involved. Seaman. That was, that it was, was David there, yeah. Seaman. Yeah, and yeah. he and he and he just left him standing while he put it in the top corner. You know, it's just oh, it's just 
he was a phenomenal football player. For two, three years, he was just unbelievable. And he really opened my eyes up as to what football a football player was and what they could do, you know, the, the, the real skill levels they had. Um, that was the first time I really appreciated skill. What Kenny did was different in the way he gelled the team together. But what John Barnes did was so individual, but it was wonderful to see within the team framework. And that was just, uh, you know, like I say, that, that's when I really, really began to understand a little bit more about football. Again, it was because of the way the team was playing as well. And, you know, there was a lot of individual players in there that had a lot of flair at the same time, whereas football before in the 70s and early 80s was a bit more blood and thunder. Um, it wasn't as graceful as what that late 80s team had become. So John Barnes for me there. And the third most important signing uh, in my lifetime is Virgil van Dijk. I think without Virgil van Dijk in our team and what he brings to our team and the solidity that he brings to our team and, you know, a pod just on Virgil van Dijk and talk about Virgil van Dijk, but what he has done because it's been 30 years and one of the reasons that we're in this position, I think, is because of Virgil van Dijk. He's... He's that important in the team. You take Virgil van Dijk out of that team and you know all these these one nils and these two ones we've been having, they suddenly become 1-1, they suddenly become 2-2. And that's how vital and crucial Virgil van Dijk has been and he has taken us to that next level. Hard to argue and it's hard to say, see a situation in which Liverpool are in back-to-back Champions League finals if it's not for that man, if we're all being perfectly honest. So I love that. That's perfectly valid. What about the ones that excited you most? Fernando Torres. That summer when will we, won't we sign him? That was just, you know, you're living on the edge of your seats, the edge of your pants almost, you know. Uh, you, you Suddenly his armband came off and it had, you know, YNWA on the side of his armband and we just all thought he's definitely signing for Liverpool but it turned out that was something him and his mates used to say to each other it was a it wasn't actually anything to do with Liverpool you know we were clutching at straws we were finding anything and he came and he did not disappoint yeah it's great yeah it's great now, yeah. Now, if, if you'd had a little advert for Pop World on there we'd have got a little bit more excited <laughs> <laughs> I need to go there I won't meet you there, mate, to be honest. <laughs> I've heard so I, much about I, it. I, I've been to, I, I've been to the one in Birmingham. No, I actually have us. Yes. <laughs> no, 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 Carl, we, we, I think all of us should go, all four of us. Meet to Pop World. <laughs> Listen, I would absolutely do that, mate. If it was the four of us, I'd meet anywhere, to be honest. But uh, I, 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 can I just can I just say that I was heartily listening to what you were saying there about uh, Torres, but I'm still trying to work out about what living on the edge of your pants is. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a, a branch thing. It is. Clearly, it is. Uh, now, I believe we started this at uh, quarter to... Nine. It's now quarter to ten. 
So we're getting pretty close to finishing. So I think we should just try and finish in that orderly note with our usual outros with whatever recommendations you have because there's loads of other stuff we get into, but let's save that for next show, seeing as material is uh, only what is served up to us on a weekly basis in terms of football. That's very, very slight. And I've enjoyed that football chat, I have to say. So let's wrap it up with your usual uh, end of show stuff. If anyone's got anything to plug or uh, any quotes or any ideas to finish us off with, I know Cam, I think you said you have your usual couple of uh, ideas there at the end or something that you want to say at the end. And I know, Carl, you said you were going to wing it uh, with a particular recommendation. Um, are we staying close to home? Or are you going far afield for your recommendation this week? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is actually quite a downbeat thing, but I think it's an important thing to remember. Um, uh, Cam lost his uh, uh, a, a friend of his recently, or his, or his, his mate lost a friend of his. Uh, was, it, uh, was it his brother? My best friend lost his father, his, father his uncle, and, his uncle and an auntie. Yeah. yeah um, uh, Due to COVID, sorry. Yeah, I lost a friend this week. Uh, not someone I've seen for a while, but someone I speak on Facebook. So uh, rest in peace, Dean, who's only 54. Um, so I'd like to mention that. Um, that's the first time it's been mentioned, really. Um, uh, sorry that the virus has sort of you know, touched my life. Um, totally shocked when that happened. Um, recommendations. Um, I keep mentioning Rain- Rainbow Valley podcast uh, all the time, uh, but I heard the Tammy Terrell one today. Uh, Tammy Terrell is a, is a Motown singer who sings with um, Marvin Gaye. So she sang on things like Ain't No Mountain High Enough, uh, The Onion Song, things like that. Um, I just, I know I've done it two weeks in a row, but I, I'm just obsessed by Rainbow Valley Podcast. It's just incredible. It's just really, really good. And uh, I don't know if do you know anything about Tammy Terrell, Trev. Uh, I saw a documentary in which she featured um, quite recently. Uh, before I'd seen, I was I thought she was exclusively a country singer, but I obviously had that totally wrong. Yeah, um, so no, I, I I I only know I only know a little bit like of the you know the stuff I saw in that Motown documentary. Um, Beat Beaten to a Pulp by David Ruffin, uh, who is one of the big wigs at uh, Motown, and by James Brown. She died of a, not she didn't die because of this. She died of a tumor age twenty five. Um, what a voice that woman had. Um, and I didn't know anything about this at all. So um, Rainbow Valley Podcast, it's just really good. And I should say, by the way, I've got nothing to do with Rainbow Valley Podcast. Not, on, not like Sherlock from Adler to Amberley, which indeed I have, which we've just done the Blue Carbuncle. I recommend that. The Blue Carbuncle. What a title that is, I have to it's say. That's fantastic story. stuff. And if, and if someone That's gets fun. reading, maybe we'll have a guest on for the Engineer's Thumb, which is two away from the in the canon. Excellent. Listen, that's a done deal. If you want me off, I'm doing it. Um, and you have to read the engineer's thumb. We, 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 and we flipped it because the the man with the twisted lip, you're going to come on the great stories and do it, right? Oh, I see. Well, I, I thought that you meant you want to do the man with the twisted lip. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. I'll definitely do that. Let's do that. Let's do that. So, yeah, so you, I, I owe you the man with the twisted lip, which I've just done a podcast on, and uh, and you, you owe me the engineer's thumb. It's all good. It's all good. And you've heard it. It's on air admin, everyone. On air admin. It's not just just crude oil prices. Oh, no. It it, it also doubles up as a gratuitous plug for our own projects. And listen, I don't know where where you are at this stage, uh, listeners, in terms of uh, your own levels of stress and difficulty and uh, economic issues and all the rest of it. But I would say that the podcasts like Carl's and like mine, which are entirely free and certainly at the moment that's 
all they're going to be. I do have plans and I hopes that maybe it'll be something bigger along the line. But I always said I was going to build up a library. And while it's free, I would like to encourage people to go and listen to these things because they will open up your brains a little bit uh, and get you a little thinking about different things that you might not have thought about otherwise. I don't mean that in the least condescending way at all. I mean, it absolutely kind of, that's what reading does. And if you can't have the time to read, you can have the time to listen. Now, I know podcast listening is also down and that's because ironically, we're all at home and commute time is down and gym time is gone and all this kind of thing. So an awful lot of podcast listening is down. But if you were inclined to look at something a bit different, uh, Carl's from Adler to Amberley and from my, my The Great Stories, I think, um, would be suitably diverting for you. And just a little recommendation on a musical um, note. I've been listening to, and it's heavy, this, you know, but I found it oddly uplifting as well. There's um there was a, Mac, a version of Macbeth that came out a few years ago with um Michael Michael Irish oh, Fastbender Fastbender in the lead and uh, and her, uh, that 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 French girl Marion Cotillard as yeah. Lady Macbeth and it's it's of you know decent merit it's not a bad version um the director's a guy called Curzel. And his brother uh, did the score. And the score for that is on Spotify. It's just Macbeth. If you put in Macbeth and Curzel, I think it's Jed Curzel, you'll get it. It's remarkable. And the and the, the main piece, the theme piece, I cannot get it out of my head. It's one of those pieces that you're walking along listening to it and you think you're actually in a film. So I heartily recommend that to people who are looking for a bit of musical background stuff as they're traveling or walking and doing their daily little bit out and about. Um, Cam, finish us off with your um, final option. Um, don't have a quote today, just a recommendation, a Netflix one. If you're feeling a bit down and you want a bit of comedy, I would then recommend the Kaminsky Method. It's got Michael Douglas, Douglas in there, Alan Arkin, um, Lisa Edelstein, Jane Seymour. So some really good actors and actresses in there. And it, it is, like I said, it's light-hearted. Oh, it's so good. It'll cheer you up. So good. Uh, Alan Arkin's fucking brilliant, isn't it? He is superb. He is superb on another level. Oh, I've just seen what Copax wrote. Lisa E. Sold. Yes, indeed. So, um, <laughs> a bit of a fan. Yes. So, yeah, it, it is really, it, like I say, just light hearted. Couple of seasons, 30 minute shows. So, you know, while you're eating your tea or something or your lunch or whatever, you know, passes a bit of time, bit of, bit of humour. You'll love it. Trust me. And did you have a uh, quote to finish or a final word to finish? Or uh, final word, just uh, uh, final word is please, people, stay safe, stay healthy. Um, if you've got elderly neighbours nearby, maybe knock on the door, make sure they're okay. That's it, really. Next week, we're going to talk about a couple of things that I've had down on the list for a long time. I'm just giving the lads a heads up here. We're going to talk about um, our best detective duos. We're going to talk about the idea of national holidays, whether they're absolutely twee, shite, or vital national celebrations, because these were knocking around for a while. And we're also going to talk in a kind of related uh, way, and in no way um, anything but respectful, we're going to talk about when this all clears and everybody's back to normal, who would you actually go out and uh, applaud from your doorstep in your own personal life, if you could, or your own, uh, uh, let's say, list of 
personal heroes. Uh, there are some of the things we're going to talk about next week. Lily Threadlestein. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go and do it now. Off <laughs> you, you, out you go. If you hear some clapping in the background, that's just uh, it's just Cobb <laughs> getting started. Literally one man clapping. I know that note we'll finish this episode of the Anvil Index podcast with me thanking you very sincerely for your support, asking you to spread the word around about the show, and reminding you that with Liberty Shield you can access free UK TV from anywhere, including BBC iPlayer. For match of the day, for example, plus Sky Go, BT Sport, and all your Reds Premier League and Champions League live games. I've been Trev Denny. You've heard the lads. Until next week, be kind to your fellow Reds and stay safe out there. Podcast Network.